Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to My Millennial Property. Emily Wallace here with a guest today who I will reveal in a moment. If you are someone who is going to an auction, you've been to an auction, you've missed out, or you just have no idea about auctions, this is the episode for you. I suspect it'll be an episode that we reference quite a bit uh, in the show. And I think it is well worth a listen because today I've brought in an expert who is an independent auctioneer, has called many, many auctions in his life. And from the Facebook page, I've gathered all your questions to get the lowdown on everything auctions. So let's get into it. Today, my guest is Andy Reid from Apollo Auctions. Welcome, Andy. Hello, Emily. How are you? Very good. And I'm very excited to get into the juice today on auctions. We initially crossed paths early days and I came to a couple of your auctions. They're very theatrical. We have fun. Yeah. Yes, we have fun. <laughs> part of the part of this whole game of auctioneering is the drama, is the theatre and messing around, not messing around, that's re- sounds really, really harsh, but um, working with the emotions of, of the crowd is, is yes. it's all part of the fun. Indeed. So for a bit of context before we get into the questions about you as a professional and an auctioneer, mm-hmm. You're an independent auctioneer. What does that mean? Basically, I gave up a much higher paying job (laughs) to do something that I love. That's basically what that means, right? (laughs) Um, I could have been on a hell of a lot more money uh, as a sales agent, but the craft of auctioneering is something that uh, it just got a grip of me from the very first moment. And it's something that I feel tremendously fortunate to have found that, you know, very few people can say that they genuinely love what they do and then happen to get paid for it, right? I, I, if I was a millionaire, I'd do this for free. Yeah, awesome. That's how much I love it, right? And, and I feel that the craft of auctioneering needed a, a much greater level of attention and focus. So you got to practice what you preach. So that's what, I, that's what I did. I gave up a sales career to launch an independent firm. And basically, I get hired by either real estate agents or uh, by vendors directly. Um, um, They'll hire me and then appoint an agent off the back of that. Uh, So, so yes. And, and I act as a part of the team. So it's not like I work independently from the real estate team that I'm working with. I always connect and interconnect with their crew um, because we need to deliver an outcome as one. Yeah. Um, So, um, but yeah, I, I have a particular focus on the craft. Yeah. Okay. And so you could be an auctioneer for multiple real estate agencies, right? Like 100%. you're not with one agency. No, hundred percent. So um, in Melbourne, uh, my crew and I, we now look after roughly on and off around 140 odd agents and agencies in Melbourne. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. 
And for those listening who aren't too sure about how the industry works and things like that, typically you actually find uh, the listing agent, so the real estate agent who's got the listing of the property will call the auction, which isn't always the best thing, as in this is why you exist, right? Because Mm -hmm. being an auctioneer in itself is actually a very specific role and a very Mm -hmm. specific craft and Mm -hmm. not everybody's cut out to do it. No. Well, I I will say straight off the bat that the worst auctions that I've called are the two auctions that I was the listing agent for. Yeah. Um, So just through my own experience, I felt that I had way too many hats on. Yeah. Because not only did I have to have that connection and that that communication with my vendor. I had to focus on the call and doing my gig, sticking to legislation, (laughs) reading the play, blah, 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 all that sort of stuff, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I also had connections with the buyers, both at scale and on an individual basis. And that's a massive problem because you've got to pick a side at yeah. some stage, right? <laughs> yeah, who are you with? <laughs> exactly, right? And, and one auction in particular, it was a uh, subdividable block, right? So it was old house, flat as attack block, perfect for a two-unit subdivision, right? And this was back in the day. And it was alpha versus alpha versus alpha. The two alphas that didn't win both blamed me. They didn't blame each other, they blamed me. Yeah. And, I, and it burned bridges, because of the fact that I didn't knock it down to them. And that wasn't my fault. It wasn't my intention. It's just how the cookie crumbled. But they wanted to blame someone and they blame me. So after that, after that second one, I was like, nah, stuff it. So when I, even when I was a listing agent, I, because I love the craft so much, if I listed an auction, I gave away the lion's share of the commission to one of my colleagues to run the campaign, to do all the buyer work, all the buyer inspections and all that sort of stuff so I could focus on the craft yep. and my vendor. Because it, it is, it's a totally different skill. Yeah, it is. And uh, I think it's a really cool concept that independent auctioneers actually exist, right? Like yeah. you just focus on being an auctioneer. Yeah, and in, in Melbourne, it's, it's, it's still relatively new. Uh, I mean, I've been doing it since 2017, but it's, I mean, there's been lots of a, lots of auctioneers, like old school auctioneers that have been running around calling auctions, but they've not, just not been public about it. Yeah, sure. Um, whereas in Sydney, Brisbane uh, in particular, or pretty much every other state, it's common. Yeah, it's, okay. it's it's more common to hire a professional auctioneer than it is to go in house. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so in Sydney, I mean, you've got the likes of McGrath who have exclusive auctioneers, but they are exclusive auctioneers they are not auctioneers that also do this that and the other they are auctioneers that's what they do so they still focus on the craft in ray white's uh, and i know that ray white are really trying to push that more down here in melbourne now but in sydney brisbane the like they have their team of external of of, of auctioneers that just focus on the craft it's it's such a it's like the last 10 percent of a of a campaign but it's the bit that puts the ball through the goalpost, yeah, right? Yeah, so literally, yeah. Kind of go, matters, right? Yeah, then if it doesn't go well, that whole 90% wasn't worth it. Yeah, So agree. it's really quite important that you have someone that's focused on it for sure. I'm going to get into some questions because I put a post up in the Facebook group in anticipation for your interview. Awesome. And uh, if it is your first time listening, there is a Facebook group. It's the My Millennial Money page where you can ask questions uh, and tag us in there. So let's have a look. We have got a question here. 
from Neil Alexander. And Neil asks, what on earth is a vendor bid? Why not just declare the minimum amount <laughs> the vendor will sell for and use that as a starting bid? If no one is willing to bid that amount, then the agent and the vendor have mispriced the property. They're wasting everyone's time, starting significantly under, especially if bidding doesn't reach the floor and gets passed in. First and foremost, Neil, I do hear your frustration as a buyer. Like it is so, so frustrating to get to an auction and it's still not even on the market at the top end or over the top end of the quote range or the asking. Mm. So I guess let's talk about what a vendor bid is for, for starters. Let's address sure. that question first. Okay, cool. So a vendor bid or a seller's bid, if you're up in Queensland, is um, basically a level at which the seller or the vendor isn't prepared to sell, but is a starting point from a negotiation point of view, okay? Now, depending on what state you're in, determines the number of vendor bids or seller's bids that are allowed, okay? So in Queensland, for example, uh, you can only do one. Oh, okay, I didn't know that, there you go. In Sydney, you can do a couple. Um, it's very depending on which state you're in as to how many you can do. In Melbourne, <laughs> and this isn't something that I actually agree with. Um, you can do as many as you want. An auctioneer can do as many vendor bids as they want, which for me is ridiculous um, because what was this, what was the chap's name? Like, Neil. Neil. Yeah. Neil, you're absolutely spot on, man. Like we and me as an auctioneer, I really don't like doing more than a couple purely based on the fact that I don't want to take the mickey, right? Totally. But just to clarify, just so people aren't going, what? Um, with vendor bids, once the property is on the market, you cannot then place any further vendor bids. No, 100%. Once they're willing to sell, you can't just bump it up just for the sake of no, it. No, 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 yeah. no. So like yeah. I said, a vendor bid has to be at a level that the vendor is not prepared to sell at. Yeah, All right, that's yeah. the critical piece. Vendor bids always must be below the reserve. Um, and if they end up, if they ever go above the reserve, then there's a, a big breaking of law going on. Um, that's that's very very naughty. Um, so yes, whatever you hear a vendor bid from an auctioneer, it's always going to be south of the reserve. Yes, perfect. Every time. And so, when and how is the ven the vendor's reserve even set? How does that unfold? Uh, look, it depends on how the agent likes to work with their vendors. Um, I personally, the way that I personally prefer uh, a vendor and an agent to work, and this is what I coach, is I, because at the end of the day, a lot can happen in 24 hours. Yes. A heck of a lot can happen in 24 hours. And for me, we need to know the whole truth before we can set that benchmark. Now, during the campaign, it's always wise for a vendor or a seller to be communicating with their agent as to where the reserve should be in accordance to what the buyer feedback is and also what it is that they would like to achieve, ideally, um, the, and, and how much of an emotional gap there is to bridge. But for me, I, I think that the reserve really should be set once you know who's there. Um, and this is another thing in Melbourne that makes it a little bit more challenging because we're the only state in the country that doesn't have registered bidders. 
which is just crazy. Which is mad, right? Yeah. Because every other state, they've got a good picture as to what's going on before it starts. Yeah, because you have to register, you have yeah. to you know, put your ID forward. Exactly. All these things, you get a little paddle in some states. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in Sydney, they take initial deposits in yep. order to validate registrations and all the rest of it. So, you know, in Melbourne, it's a different kettle of fish because people can and have just rocked up and bid and bought stuff um right so um so in melbourne i always recommend that we set the reserve based on the feedback based on who's turned up who hasn't turned up and also the vernacular of what's gone on during the campaign right and that's and that's so for me i and partly because i'm super comfortable in my craft um that i'm happy for a vendor to set the reserve right before I'm about to walk out. Sure. That's when I'm I'm happy to do that. There are some auctioneers, there are some agents that get really panicky and nervous and they need to know the reserve before it goes on and all that sort of stuff, which is, you know, it's up to them. Um, but there's no strict and set way. There are some vendors that set the reserve right at the start of the campaign. Yeah, okay. That's my price. They'll just go, right, that's yeah. my price. That's what I want. That's what I want to put on there, which is totally their prerogative if that's what they wanted to do. Um, but... For an agent, if that's the case, then their quote range needs to reflect that. Totally. It really which is where buyers get yeah, really Yeah, which is where buyers get really shitty because, and, and again, I can completely appreciate it. I mean, I've been in certain situations, I've been put in certain situations because I'm the auctioneer, not the agent, where um, I come to the week of and I'm doing my homework and I'm tuning in, getting into gear and I find out that the quote range and the reserve are in two different ballparks and it kind of makes my job impossible. And it makes you look bad because even it, though, the, I mean, you know, the general public who don't understand the politics behind how they arrived at that figure, who's indicated that figure, you're the auctioneer, you're calling it and you've gone past the top end of the quote range and it's still not on the market, that's, you know. It can, it, it could make me look bad. Um, I've, I've grown to understand how to connect with a degree of empathy because I don't, you know, I don't pull the wool over by his eyes. If they're getting frustrated, I actually share in their frustration. I actually sit in it with them, um, which kind of helps me to overcome some of that um, because at the end of the day, you know, we want, a fair fight. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> if there is I, such like, thing. I'm there to facilitate a fair fight. Uh, I'm not there to get in the way. I'm certainly not there to get in the way. Totally. Mm. Can it be that you can be approaching the vendor's reserve, there's a bit of bidding going back and forth, it sort of stops and you go inside. So some people take a break, right? Half, yep. Halfway break, a yep. referral auction, they go and refer to the vendor. Yep. Can it be in that situation they alter their reserve at that time? Yeah, it, it, you, it's at any point right up until the auction finishes. So whether it's under the hammer or passed in, uh, the reserve can change at any stage. And I actually openly educate vendors on that because there's certain situations where, um, you know, buyers might be stalling, We've had some good action, um, but everybody, understandably, is anxious uh, about whether they are barking up the wrong tree or whether they've actually got a chance of getting this thing in their in their hands. So sometimes uh, we, you know, if there is that situation, uh, we would recommend if where the bidding has stopped is within a reasonable distance for the risk to be worth the potential reward then that's when we perhaps recommend that you go to market slightly earlier. Having said that, though, it is a risk versus reward. Yeah. 
And I'm not going to, you know, ultimately, it's their decision. It's the vendor's decision. If they're not gambling people, if they're not happy to go forward with that in mind, um, then they can keep their reserve where it is. Or, and I've had this happen, reserves go up as well because um, of a number of reasons. One of the parties might have got cold feet, which happens. We're human. Yeah. Um, and, you know, particularly if it's in something like a, uh, like a crappy situation, like a separation or something not very nice, uh, then if the two parties or if the however many parties involved aren't aligned, you can find a conflict ensue because the emotions are so high. Yeah, yeah. Such a tense scenario. Oh, it, and it, it is on both sides. That's probably the biggest thing is that, uh, on both sides of the fence, there's so much anxiety. Like as much as oh. you're feeling anxious as a buyer about to put your hand up, the vendors in there, like, I hope this sells. I'm, you know, getting nervous. I want it to be- go well. Like they're just as nervous as you are. Oh, big time. It's like, it's 19 minutes that alters the course of people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. On both sides of the fence. And, and I think as a buyer, if you can not sympathize at the end of the day, you want to get it for as little as you can, right? Yeah, I mean, of course. You are. Bush. <laughs> but if you can even just comprehend the emotions that are on the other side of yeah. the fence, my word, does it make the whole game a lot easier for you? Because ultimately it's not you versus the agent. It's not you versus the auctioneer. It's you versus your other buyers. And then ultimately against the benchmark that the vendor sets. Agents and auctioneers should never be getting in the way of that. They're just there to guide and facilitate. But if you can understand the emotions that are at play on all sides of, on all sides of the deal, you do that empathy actually provides a level of understanding that helps you to overcome your own emotions. Totally, yeah, mm. and it's inside as well. Oh, big time. Yeah. Okay, we've got a question around why agents would recommend sellers to do an auction yep. over a, a private sale. Yep. So. I think the impression from buyers is that, you know, just send it to auction because it gets a really good result and, you know, they want so much money or they're greedy. That's a lot of commentary I do hear. And sometimes I agree with it. Sometimes I don't. But why would an agent recommend an auction for a property over just selling it expressions of interest or private sale or fixed price? Right. So I do a lot of coaching in the sales space. And when we talk about, when we talk about methods of sale with agents, not one side, not one shoe fits all. The thing that frustrates me about how certain agents tend to operate is that they go into a listing presentation with a predetermined notion of what needs to happen. That's kind of like a doctor diagnosing a patient before the patient's walked in. Yeah. A bit silly. And you've got a high probability of potentially um, misdiagnosing and prescribing the wrong medicine, which can make people ill. So when it comes to auction versus private sale, even though I am an auctioneer and I love the craft and all that sort of stuff, when I was an agent and I have no problem saying this, I never, I didn't say auction every single time. I absolutely didn't because of my knowledge of the likelihood of the buyer population being of a first home buyer of a subject to finance or whatever the case may be. So my knowledge of the buyer demographics that are likely to be entertaining the property in that particular location play a massive part. But one big thing that plays a huge factor in it, it's got nothing to do with money. It's got everything to do with time. Yeah. And for a, for a lot of vendors, for a lot of sellers, they are working to a time frame, And because of that, 
They want to have targets that they ideally want to have the property sold by. Sure. Time is their most valuable commodity beyond anything. You can always make more money, but you can never make more time. And for a lot of vendors, well, no, not even a lot. For every vendor, there's always a greater reason for, some, for them selling a property, whether it's an investment or an owner-occupier. The money is a vehicle. The selling of the home is a vehicle. The purpose is a much, much greater thing in their lives. And there's generally a time thing attached to it. Yes. So that's one of the, actually the main reasons as to why an auction gets recommended is because they go, we want to have this sold. We don't want to be on the market for too long. We want to get it done by this. It's a four-week campaign. We know the auction date. Totally. Yeah. Um, the Another thing for a vendor is um, because of the nature of the financial market these days, uh, an offer that is subject to finance carries a higher risk. Totally. Because the goalposts are shifting all the time. You know, people's um, loan application, loan approvals and all that, they're getting changed. They're getting chopped around. Interest rates are going up and therefore serviceability of some of these pre- pre-approvals aren't going to happen. Um, and so the inherent risk of taking on a subject to finance offer is so much higher now for a vendor. With an auction, it has to be an unconditional contract to sale. And that is a huge comfort blanket. Now, for a lot of buyers, they may say, well, that, that takes me out of the equation because I'm a subject to finance buyer, so on and so forth. You can still get an approval, right? Mm, you yeah. can still get an approval and bid at auction. It requires the uh, lender to get a valuation done on, on that target property that you're, really, that you're looking for and what have you. But it gives you, it gives you that set amount that you can go up to and what have you. So just because you're subject to finance in the holistics, it doesn't mean that you can't get an approval for a specific property that you're really, really keen on. You've got to get all your ducks in a row, which is what I would recommend you do anyway. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't stop you from interacting with it. And if anything, if you do go to that effort of getting ready and getting committed so you can bid unconditionally at an auction, owners are probably more likely to be more amicable on the figure side of things because of the convenience, because of the unconditional nature of the contract, because it's working to their time frame. Yeah, totally. The convenience factor of, of accepting a, an unconditional offer for a vendor in right now in this climate yeah. is massive. Absolutely it's massive. It's a no-brainer, really. So even though a lot of buyers do think that it's only a greed thing, far from it. It's actually more of a convenience, safety, security type situation for a heck of a lot of owners um, and you need to think more about the positives that can come from putting in yourself in a position to be able to bid it puts you ahead of the peloton there's always going to be more subject to finance buyers if you could be one of the three unconditionals as opposed to one of the 12 subject to finances yeah you're increasing your probability. Yeah. And just to clarify that for you as well, if you are someone who's thinking of bidding at auction, what you need to ask for from your lender or your broker is a conditional pre-approval. That means everything's been assessed, your paperwork's been submitted. And basically the only condition is a valuation of the property. The valuation cannot actually be done without a signed contract of sale. Mm. So what happens is you go to the auction, you bid, you win, you sign, and then that triggers a valuation to come in at the contract price. Mm. They assess it, sometimes desktop, sometimes in person, just depends. Sometimes I've even heard they just, um, they call the agent and ask what the, uh, 
how the auction played out and who the most recent bidder was below mm. that offer. And usually it's only a small gap anyway, mm-hmm. and they'll take the contract price. But yeah, just to be clear, you want to be asking for a conditional pre-approval in order to be in a position to bid at auction. Um, you basically want to be in a position where you've done all your pay slips, all of that stuff You're at your end needs to be boxed off. You do that and then the bank goes, right, wicked. With the money you've got, the money you've got coming in, you're good to go uh, in a sense, providing that you're not buying a shed for $2 million. Unless it's a boathouse. Well, it's one of the boat sheds in Brighton or something, right? Love it. We're going to take a quick break and come back with some questions more on the buyer side, but also some career questions around Mm -hmm. auctioneering. So Mm. we'll be right back. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. We also have a panel of trusted mortgage brokers we can connect you with to get you into your first home, an investment property purchase, or to review your current loan if you don't have a broker. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers, and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. So, Andy, I feel like we've spoken about the vendors side a little bit, or probably a lot, about what they're going through and setting reserves and all yep. that sort of thing. Yep. On the buyer's side, if... Knowing what you know as an auctioneer, if you were a buyer going to an auction, what would be some key things that you would be doing at an auction? Fail to prepare, prepare to fail. Mm -hmm. Get yourself sorted before you rock up is is point number one, (laughs) right? And I'm not talking about your pre-approval or anything like that now. Understand the mechanics of what goes on. There are umpteen numbers of auctions that are available to watch on YouTube, on Facebook, do your homework, right? I'm not just talking about the actual auction process, but if you've got particular auctions, you know, or a particular auction for a property with a particular agent, see if you can find some footage of them in action as well. Generally speaking, agents and a a number of auctioneers will work to a pattern, they have a degree of predictability as to how they rock and roll. 
which is why sometimes advocates can be a tremendous way to go because they actually understand some of those dynamics and can actually predict what's likely to happen and therefore play the game in a better way, so on and so forth. Um, little plug for Emily and crew there. But do your homework. Because not only do you need to understand the mechanics of how they operate their auctions or how auctions operate, if you can get a grip, if you can get a, uh, a handle on how the auctioneer works, it can give you a degree of familiarity that alleviates a portion of your anxiety. That's massive because you're going to be panicking whether you want to admit it or not. Whether you've done 10 or none or five, you'll always get nervous because you're about to hopefully spend a chunk of money. Right. Um, so preparing in that way is really, really crucial. When you go to the auction, you can only control what you can control. There's no point panicking about much else. All right. So doing your homework on the levels that you are prepared to go to, um, doing your homework on a level that you are prepared to bid at um, if nothing happens. And we'll talk about that in a second because that's a really critical play that any clever buyer will do. Um, but giving yourself some parameters that you can bid from and to, whether you, I always, I've, been, I've done this for years, I've referred to a bargain price, a fair price, and a stretched price, where you have those three limits, where you understand that a bargain price would be X, a fair price would between yourself and a vendor who's anxious would be Y, and then that's that, that absolute limit would be your Z price, your stretch price. Um, have an idea about what those are. I'd actually recommend you write them down. Yes. Because I always recommend that. And commit, a, particularly if you're in a partnership oh. and one of you is doing the bidding, like just commit while you have a level head and you're not in an anxious situation yep. of what the absolute top end yep. is. I hate seeing buyers. And I know you guys probably love it, seeing buyers make decisions in the moment because they're like, oh, maybe just $1,000 more. Yeah. But it's, it's really something that needs to be a decision made with a level head at a time that you're not anxious. Ideally. Ideally. Oh, look, heat in the moment stuff and, you know, your parents or your dad gives you a nudge and says, I'll give you five grand and all that sort of, you know. It happens. Emotion, it happens. Emotions take over and we understand that. We appreciate that. But, um, yeah, doing your homework is, is super critical. When you're at the auction, play the situations out in your head. Visualisation is, is another big, big thing that I would highly recommend. So visualise the situation playing out where no one bids. Visualize it. Visualize how you're going to play. Visualize how you want to work and operate. And then through that visualization, just get a sense of how you're going to feel. Then visualize if there's a little bit of action, but it's not on the market. Visualize when it's going like the clappers. How are you going to play that? Are you going to be a deer in the headlights or are you going to be measured and controlled in how you go? And visualize if that first bid is like miles above. Yeah. Because it can happen. I always, as an auctioneer, I do this. I call however many auctions I call on a weekend. I can call 10, 15, however many on a weekend. And every single one, I'll visualize different outcomes. I always visualize five different outcomes because I need to get a gauge on how I'm going to behave, act, interact, depending on what, what plays out. Highly recommend buyers do that as well. Definitely. Highly recommend that. And off the back of that, um, you know, the visualization piece and even to the point of like 
where are you going to stand and who's going to be there? Like, do you have any, is there any mm-hmm. tactic around where you stand? I mean, I know us advocates like to stand at the front, but it, for yeah. a general public buyer Make who's, you know, <laughs> a first time buyer, what would, what would your suggestion be or what have you seen work? Um, yeah. So you'll notice that advocates generally tend to try and stand at like the four o'clock or the seven or eight o'clock on a, from a, from an auctioneer, um, because they're like an eyeball in all you, all you scared buyers, <laughs> right? Intimidation. Yes, factor. exactly. And that's when, that's when nice auctioneers like me try and stand in between the two of you. Um, so that you look at a friendlier face. Um, I like it when, and this is just as an auctioneer and bearing in mind, believe it or not, that we are human as well. Right. Don't, totally. for, don't forget that bias. Not a robot. Nope. And we will act and interact with people according to, to a certain degree, how they interact with us. That's where it's human nature. I like it myself when buyers don't stand like right in my face because I'll blow their eardrums off anyway. But when they stand visible, when they stand and they, I can see them, I don't, get I do in a sense because you they, they don't want to get too close and to feel too threatened and all that sort of stuff and they hide behind trees and across from cars and whatever but I tell you now you're going to get on with the auctioneer a heck of a lot more if you make life a little bit easier for them to hear you see you and for them to be able to speak to you I think that's one of the biggest things. I've actually been in auctions and heard someone call a bid, but been they've been too quiet or too far away for the mm-hmm. auctioneer to hear and they actually get missed or someone else calls the bid that they would have called, you know, a couple of seconds after and they've mm-hmm. missed their spot. I think, yeah, people underestimate how loud and visible you need to actually be in an auction setting because usually the auctioneer's mic'd up. Buyers don't have a mic on them when, nope. they're, when they're bidding, particularly when it's a busy street or the auctioneer's on one side of the street and all the crowd's on the other. Like you need to think about logistically, how am I going to be heard and seen in this setting? Because you would hate for an auction to go really fast, go really well, be knocked down and your bid wasn't heard. Yeah. Um, and another little tip, that I know goes down well with me um, is if you're a bidder, go and introduce yourself to the auctioneer. Go and say hello. That natural desire to want to connect with people will have the auctioneer feel connected to you. Um, And it's not like there'll be a bias as such. Gosh, no, you can't just go, you know, try and do the whole stupid friends thing where they try and put a dollar bill in his hand and whatnot and shake hands. Box of chocolates. Yeah, all that sort of stuff. But if you just go and say hello to the the auctioneer um, and, and introduce yourself and just just be human with them, they're much more likely to be human with you when the call happens and there will be an affinity. Um... I know that that works well with me. And if uh, maybe you've had constant contact with a certain agent at the campaign, you know that agent, you could go and shake their hand and say, you know, who is calling the auction today? And most likely they'll introduce you. Because sometimes I rock up to auctions and I actually don't know who's calling and if they've mm. brought someone in. Mm. So just say, you know, nice to see who who would be calling the auction today so I can meet them and just ask and yeah, yeah make an introduction. It definitely helps. And Better it, than not. Oh, absolutely. And it, and it makes the auctioneer look human to you as well yeah. as opposed to this big scary monster yeah. right um it makes them it makes you go oh crap they they are human beings yeah right and it, and it just makes it makes for a much easier process for you mm-hmm. and it also makes it a bit easier for the auctioneer as well if they know you uh, or if they feel that they know you in that moment 
You touched on before, uh, and I made a mental note to come back to it because I think listeners will think the same, Mm. about when there is the bargain price setting and what might happen if an auction passes in. Mm. Can you talk to us more around that? So this, and especially in this sort of inclement weather from a market point of view, there is such a thing as trying too hard as a buyer, um, in my opinion. And what I mean by that is if you try too hard to be like the gun negotiator, you are likely to find yourself coming up against headaches anyway, right? If you want the path of least resistance, then you need to pay attention to the legislation and work it to your advantage. Now, what I mean by that is if the auction passes in, so the reserve, it's not declared on the market, the highest bidder, providing that it's not the vendor bid, obviously, the highest bidder gets the exclusive right to negotiate with the vendor one-on-one. You are kidding yourself as a buyer if you think that you are the only buyer on any one property. You could be. There's a probability that you're not. You need to put yourself in a position that buys you time. I keep coming back to time. So important. It buys you space to think, but it doesn't commit you to buying the home. It gives you that freedom to not have to worry about any other buyers coming in and having a crack, which it could happen. And if even if you're unconditional, you know, a vendor is likely to entertain an offer subject to finance if it is 20, 30, 40K higher or whatever. It's a significant amount of money higher. So put yourself in a position where you can have the upper hand, essentially. And so if the auction's stalling or if no one's bid at all, don't take that as a sign to not bid yourself because chances are you're going to be one of two or three that are going to want to make an offer afterwards and then you're on the back foot in a big way. You've just given away your advantage, to be brutally honest. If, and this is, if you want to be timing like a Swiss watch with this, then you would wait until the uh, auctioneer is threatening to pass the property in on a vendor bid, hear the first call, hear the second call, then place a bid either just above where the last vendor bid is or, and this is completely legit, at that last reserve, at that last vendor bid. Yeah, match the match, match the bid. Match that vendor bid. It gives you the best position to negotiate from, okay? Um, because you're at the, the minimum point that vendors are willing to even listen to you. But that's the best position to be in for you. Let's just recap on that because I think a lot of people wouldn't know you can even do that, yeah. which is match a vendor bid. So if the vendor bid's 750000 calling it once, calling it twice, you can put your hand up and say, I'll match it. Yeah. So your bid, genuine bid becomes 750000 Yeah, That's gold. Yeah, absolutely. And then if in Melbourne, um, so it's even better in you know the States when they've run out of vendor bids and whatnot, right? <laughs> yeah, because they've only got so many. Exactly. But in Melbourne, if you match that vendor bid and then they do another vendor bid over the top, then you can match it again if you really want to, yep. um, and uh, you know, and maintain that and maintain that position. But don't be afraid to say to the agent and the auctioneer, "Look, I won't be doing it again," right? Or something along those lines. Make it clear that you're happy to work to a point. 
uh, before um, before you think that you're you're getting taken for a bit of a ride. Um, I personally, with you know, with auctions where there aren't as many bidders. I will say to the buyer, if there is one bidder, I'll say, look, all we're doing is just actively negotiating now, okay? I, I need to take it to a point that gives you a shot of actually getting this thing done before the middle of next week. So that's why I'm doing it. Don't be offended. I'm just getting you a little bit closer so that we can actually negotiate, all right? And the vendor will entertain you. Doesn't mean that you have to follow me, but I would highly recommend it. Yeah. Only because of the fact that I'm not, I'm not there to... Like I said, I'm not there to get in the way. Um, I'm there to help put people in a position where a deal can potentially be done. And, and there's no point me leaving uh, a buyer at 750K if the reserve is at a mill. Ain't, it's never going to get done, not in a million years. And that's me wasting everybody's time. So if I'm just going to, if, if an auctioneer is going up in, in slightly smaller increments, it means you couldn't, you, you're possibly not that far off. So you might as well go to the minimum point that the auctioneers call in and still maintain that wonderful position for a buyer, which is that exclusive right to chat. Because if you look at the vendor's emotions, they're at a peak state in terms of desire, in terms of desire to sell. Peak. Yeah. In that, in that moment, yeah. Anything past there, motivation could disappear. It could, it, they could shore up, they could decide to change their mind. They could go and speak to their broker on a Monday and they go, crap, we've actually changed our financial position. We don't need to sell it for that now. We can sell it, we can hold on to it for, and wait for longer. All sorts of stuff could go on. But in that moment, you've got an opportunity. Don't try to be too clever by not working the legislation into your favor. Yeah. I just see too many buyers cock it up because they try and play it too clever or try and be too hard-nosed with their position. It's just, it's just you're cutting your nose off to spite your face. I think that's a really important one, particularly for people who are not familiar with yeah. auctions and how they work. Like mm. when, the, when the auctioneer reads out the rules, they're legit rules. Mm. There is exclusive rights to negotiate. And just on that, generally speaking, how long does that time, so it passes in, you both walk in, usually the vendor's in one room, you're in the other and mm -hmm. the agent or the auctioneer is going between both rooms. Mm -hmm. How long does that period generally last for? Um, look, so in terms of that locked in negotiation period, um, it's very critical from a communication point of view as to how long that time is. Okay. So sometimes uh, some vendors are happy for, so say for example, there's a bit of to and fro and there's a little bit of an impasse. The vendor might turn around and say, right, okay, we're happy to give you 24 hours to consider your position before we move on to other buyers. Okay. Or the agent um, has got an underbidder outside or a, a sea of subject to finance buyers that are half keen, they might, they might turn around and say, look, we, we need to get this done today because if we don't, then you know, we'll consider this dead in the water and we'll be making it abundantly clear to you that we'll be entertaining other prop, other other offers. Yeah, okay? but legally speaking, there's no specific time limit really, that you can, no. yeah, it's a bit wishy-washy. It it's yeah. a bit grey. Yeah. Um, so if you're a buyer that you, and you go into that situation, um, if you don't get to a deal, just clarify you know, uh, what the go is. And if I were you, just as a little, just as a little bo Brucey bonus here, if I were you, I'd be prudent and just ask for something in writing. Yeah. Whether it's a text message, text message or an email, just something from the agent to say that you have until close of business on Monday or end of the day or 5 p.m. on Sunday, have a specific time and date 
um, and just get that, just get that little bit of a note in writing just to make sure, one, everybody's on the same page, but two, there's a commitment from the agent and the vendor in writing that that's the case. That for me would be the prudent way to go if I were you. Yeah, that's a good tip. And you can never be too diligent in these situations. No, so, and, and the thing is, it's just, it's not a case of you being uh, a pain in the ass. It's just a case of you making sure that everybody is on the same page in black and white and there's no gray. The minute that you as a buyer or them as an agent or as a vendor uh, leave any room for gray, that's when it goes south. That's always when it goes south. So just, just, keep your house nice and tidy, keep it black and white and just anything that you that is said, just request for it to be just banged down in a text message or, or at least or in an email from the agent to state that that's the case. Love it. So I've got a question that's probably interesting for people to know regardless of it being a career interest for them. Mm. But Carmelo asks, I'm always interested to know how one becomes an auctioneer. Is there some training or some qualifications? How did you become an auctioneer? I became an auctioneer because my former father-in-law gave me two weeks and said, I've signed you up for an auction. And I had jet lag at the time. And, and I went, okay. And I assumed that I was just going to be running the campaign because I was a sales agent at the time. And, he, and he's looking at me gone out and he goes, you don't get it, dear. And I went, what is there to get? And he said, you're calling the auction. And I went, oh, <laughs> shit. Okay. Uh, all right. Um, so... Um, there was a heck of a lot of time spent out of, uh, uh, out of the back of Cranbourne Racecourse in the paddock. Um, lots of shouting where no one can hear you. Um, and my, my father, he, he was a, he done auctions himself. He, you know, done plenty of training over his journey and whatnot. So he understood the mechanics, the legislation, so on and so forth. He obviously saw, and I've got to give him, I've got to tip my cap to him in this respect. Um, he obviously saw something in me. Um, that made him feel that this is where I should be. And I owe him for that. Yeah, it's awesome. I owe him for that in yeah. a big way. Um, he always claims all of my awards were his doing, <laughs> um, which is fair. Um, so, yeah, so it's one of those ones because back in the day, um, you know, when I was at school, I did acting, um, public speaking, all that sort of stuff. I wasn't averse to being on stage. And um, so I, I had that sort of natural affinity with that. Not from an ego point of view, but almost from an escapism point of view. It kind of made me be in the moment, which meant that I didn't have to worry about anything else. And that's still the case to this day. I don't refer to it as escapism now. I refer to it as flow state. It was my place of flow. Everybody's in chaos and panicking. And if you could see in my head, yeah. you'd see sunsets and sandy beaches and you know, rainbows. Exactly. And a, and, and, a, and a pina colada. You'd see that. Um, so... Um, yeah, in terms of how you become an auctioneer, firstly, you've got to want it. You need to want it. It's not something that anybody can do. It does take a particular personality and a particular person um, to be able to do it. And a lot, and you you can co be coached into becoming a good auctioneer. Yeah, but there are certain things, in my opinion, that will get you into the craft a lot quicker if you're a lot more comfortable with being in front of people and things like that. Because that's obviously the, the natural anxiety is public speaking, right? They say that that's one step away from death or something, right? For a lot of people, is that natural anxiety? Something, some, something stupid, like that. <laughs> some stupid statistic. Um, so you've got to do that. But then there has to be a focus. And the amount of agents that I 
<laughs> that ask me, oh, I want to be an auctioneer, and they think it's a five-minute process, right? I've got my first auction on VHS. I wasn't that good. Right? <laughs> I don't think anyone can expect the first one to be. I wasn't bad, <laughs> but it was a two hundred and something thousand dollar auction, and I accidentally added a hundred thousand dollars onto someone's bid. So you know what? Right? <laughs> <laughs> I went to go look at my father-in-law, who was penciler. He ran out of paper, and at the same time, walked off. Oh no! So he had no reference point. I had no reference point, and you just see me do this real dormant dopey 360 degree little circle and I just stare at the crowd going yep that's yep so we're we yep and I just completely <laughs> BS'd it um so um um so you've got to put you've got to put time and attention into it it's like any muscle it requires effort it requires practice it requires work is there official qualifications again in other states, there are auctioneer accreditations that you need to achieve through the Real Estate Institute of whichever state it is. Yep. In Melbourne, not the case. All you need, all you need is uh, your agent's rep um, and you can be an auctioneer under the insurance of someone else. If you want to be an independent auctioneer and you want to you know, run your own show and whatnot, you have to have a full license, your own PI, so your own public indemnity insurance, your own uh, business insurances and all that sort of stuff. But if you just want to be an auctioneer, you can do it under the license of someone else as an agent's rep, all right? Which I've been in a part of the area, I've been, we've been trying to change it and we are trying to change it and bring in a formal accreditation because the fact that uh, the difference between a qualified focused auctioneer and a bang average part-timer doesn't really pay much attention to it is hundreds of thousands of dollars. And we're not even exaggerating. No. We're not. Like, I, I see it countless times. Like the senior auctioneering competition that I was a part of last year in Victoria... Some of the senior auctioneers that apparently were seniors were dog rough. They were awful. And how they classify themselves as senior auctioneers is beyond me. Like me and a couple of the guys that take it, we were panicking, thinking, crap, is that what is out there? But conversely, in the novice competition, my gosh, there is some serious talent coming through. Some serious talent. Just as a reference for listeners, like there are actually competitions where auctioneers go and compete. Like they're not calling it an auction of an actual house. They go and compete yeah. to so, do auctioneering and like they work out who's the best auctioneer. It's kind of like a, it's kind of like a mix between uh, auctioneering and strictly ballroom yeah. where, where we have like a, a, a points thing. Like we have a judge's score sheet and they judge us based on lots of different little criteria and then total scores are added up and so on and so forth. If you want to see grown men panic, go, <laughs> go watch YouTube that. It. <laughs> go watch that because the best auctioneers on the planet – they all panic yeah, uh, when yeah. it comes to the comps because that's that's where you've got the most amount of scrutiny when you've got other people that know what they're doing. And that's where I think, you know, that's where you get the most amount of growth. Totally. Now, I've got a final question in closing. You might have to rack your brains for this one. Yo. But Anna asks, what was the most difficult auction to date that you've called in your career and why was it difficult? Anything that spring to mind? Um. Probably the 
some of the most challenging ones, I mean, you could talk about ones that were challenging from a mechanical point of view, like in terms of where the numbers were and all the rest of it. Some of the one bidder auctions are interesting where you, you where you have to take a punt and, and really, you know, harness, uh, uh, you know, that right to negotiate and so on and so forth. One that really jumps out was more because of the emotions around the auction. Okay. What happened? Oh, it was crap. Um, it was a storybook home in the Dandenong Ranges. Oh, okay. Um, and this is, this is, I don't want to get emotional with you lot, but um, family, mum, dad, three kids, mum didn't have long left to live. And the agent had got really emotionally involved, too much. Um, and that was a prick of a situation. That would have been so hard. That was horrible. Yeah. Um, and mechanics are mechanics, right? You can always talk about tricky ones. And, and, and for me, the easy ones are boring anyway. Like, uh, you know, if they were easy, anybody, if, you know, and that's where, and that's where from a purist point of view, it really does my head in when uh, agents hire bang average auctioneers just because they know it's going to be an easy one. Well, look, ultimately you're repping your brand. If you want to rep your brand in an average way, that's why you're, you're hiring an average auctioneer to do that. For the sake of what? A couple hundred dollars? Anyway, I won't get on my high horse about that. <laughs> the ones that really hit home, the ones that have like, like there's been a few where, I sit in my car afterwards and I just have to calm down. Mm. Like I just have to just breathe for a minute because there's serious emotions at play. Yeah. And and it can be really hard, man. I think that also just highlights, right? You don't know what's happening in the vendor's life nah. or what's going on behind the scenes, you know? You never truly know mm. and it is a, such an emotional a critical point for them. Yeah. And and look, believe it or not, in the 19 to 20 odd minutes or whatever it is of an auction, auctioneers, like I can, you know, you do find yourself getting a little bit emotionally attached, right? For sure. For, to the buyers. Yeah, of course. Well. Yeah. So, you know. You're rooting for them, but no, like quietly. <laughs> kind of. Like, and, and, it, and it's never nice where it's never nice to disappoint. Uh, you know, I've, I've had a couple of buyers that have, you know, cried and mm. and whatnot because they've missed out or they can't handle the pressure uh, and whatnot. I don't like doing that as a human being. Yeah. Um. I, you know, I, I'm I'm a nice guy, so you know, I don't like making people feel that way. Um. And so, you know, afterwards, after an auction, if that ha if that's happened, then I do feel guilty in a sense. And from a human, I mean, I've got a job. Yeah. And I'll always do my job. It doesn't stop me being human. Um, so it's, yeah, the, the hard ones are not the ones that you think. Yeah. The hard ones are the ones where there's a story that hits home um, and, and you feel just that little bit more of an obligation um, to want to make something happen for them. 100%. Well, I think that we've covered off a lot today. We've gone through like the logistics of <laughs> what even happens in an auction, vendors, reserves, some... Uh, great tips around being able to match vendors' reserve bid, uh, and also around being, you know, when it, what happens when it gets passed into you, those sorts of things, and even introducing yourself to the auctioneer if you've never met them before as you arrive, it goes a long way. So Definitely. there's quite a few takeaways, and I think this will be an episode that, like I said in the beginning, that gets referenced a lot 
throughout our show because the show gets a lot of questions more generally on property, Mm -hmm. but this is why we bring experts in because we don't know everything Mm -hmm. and we love it when uh, our listeners ask for a particular expert. So really, really appreciate you coming in today to talk specifically on auctions and being an auctioneer. Yeah, no, look, I love having these conversations because, um, you know, I do get, sometimes I get a little bit of pushback saying why are you giving away the plays uh, for buyers when you're supposed to work for the vendor. I mean, ultimately, any auctioneer worth their salt should be comfortable in talking like this. Totally. Because if they yeah. understand their craft and they know it and they practice it, none of this should be new. None of this should be scary. No, and education is power. You know, a, a buyer who walks into an auction educated is probably more likely to bid with confidence and actually make the auction work well. So Absolutely, dual benefit. Man. Absolutely, man. I, I only see good things uh, coming from sharing this sort of stuff. So, so I really appreciate having the opportunity to chat to you guys. It's been awesome. 100%. And if you want to learn more about Andy or even just on a Saturday, he gives some great updates because he <laughs> operates across so many different suburbs. Follow his Instagram. We'll put the handles below uh but yeah it's been a very insightful chat and we appreciate your time thank you for having me if you'd like to put any requests for any experts or any questions in the facebook group do so and tag john and myself otherwise we will be in your ears again next week bye We acknowledge the Awabakal people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits, and pay respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. Taking your property journey to the next level starts with education. That's why we make this podcast, but we've also created online courses to equip you with the knowledge you need to take the next steps. I've created the Solvair Online Academy, open to both first home buyers and seasoned investors, where I share my tips and experience from 20 years in the property space. And if you're a first home buyer, I have the course just for you. Everything from pre-approval all the way through into your settlement and everything in between. How to place an offer, how to bid at auction, what to even look for at an open home and what questions to ask the agents. It's all covered in my online course. Follow the links in the show notes to sign up and get started today. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement, target market determination, and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, and Glenn James are authorized representatives of Money Sherpa Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289.